Now, I don't know if this is going to make the cut, but clearly, you know, he's called Professor Oak because he's always got wood. Damn straight, this is making the episode. <laughs> That's it. That's got to stay, because, you know, we've invented a whole story here. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Oak. Fifty Shades of Oak! <laughs> oh, oh, oh. God! Oh, Hello Survivors, and welcome to episode 3 of Memory Card Lane, the nostalgia show brought to your eyes and ears by the First Aid Spray podcast and our wonderful backers over at Patreon. You can support the show for as little as $1 a month, and additional tiers offer access to early and bonus content just like this. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash fasprayPod. In this episode, we dive into late 90s Pokemania to focus on a cult classic, Pokemon Snap. I'm your host, Jordan, and joining me on the panel today, have you ever tried getting a picture of Meow spilling out of a nightclub on a Saturday night? He has, and he has the scars to prove it. It's Sherwin Matthews. Oh, that was about me. Okay, with you now. Got it. Yes, hello, everyone. (laughs) And while he claims to know how to find a 64th Pokemon in the game, he can't tell you because his uncle at Nintendo will get fired. It's Steve Valance. Yes, this is entirely factual information. I'll have you know my uncle has worked there for many years. His name is Reggie Phils. Oh, oh wait. He's lying. His dad is he's his uncle. Yeah, he's, sorry, his dad, uncle, whatever fits. He's actually Professor Oak. I always thought you looked alike. Wait, no, what? that doesn't make any sense. What? Anyway, how's it going, guys? <laughs> Not bad. Uh, looking forward to talking about this game, mainly because I think I'm going to be the, the thirdest wheel to ever third wheel this entire operation. Uh, if you are as good as me at Jumping Jack Flash, then you will be really on form. Um, yeah, I'm alright, I'm reasonable. Nobody could be a third wheel here, alright? This is a photography game. If anything, we are a tripod. Oh, uh, Listeners, Steve and I were not ready for that. We did not know any part of that in advance, just a heads up. You've been selected to receive the sneak peek about a phenomenon called Pokemon, a hit TV show, a Game Boy game, and loads of other cool things that are about to take America by storm! Let's start from the beginning. Japan, February 27, 1996. Nintendo releases Pocket Monsters Red and Green for the Game Boy to instant and rapturous success. Combined, the releases sell over a million copies in the country by the end of the year. Fast forward to 1999 and Pokemon is not only global, but a full-blown craze. There's a TV show, a movie, a trading card game, a trading card game, game, books, soft toys, action figures, bouncy balls, telephones, gadgets, fast food promotions, and just about everything else. It was everywhere. What are your memories of late 90s, early 2000s Pokemania? Yeah, yeah. Um, my uh, my foray into it was the, was the TV show at first, and obviously this TV show ran with ads, and they were encouraging me to play the game, and they basically made it feel like, yeah, you could play the Journey of Ash, which for some reason seems really amazing, even though Red is like infinitely better. Do you remember when Sky TV had built in like online shopping? This is the pre Amazon days. I actually bullied my dad into specifically going and buying one because we couldn't get one from any of the shops nearest to literally go, Dad, use the Sky thing. But why, Steve? Because it's the only place I can get Pokemon Red! And um, I got chewed out, yelled at, and I turned out I was right. And then I proceeded to play the game for all of about three or four hours, decided it wasn't for me, until a few years later, came back to it and became a bit of an addict. Yeah, so I definitely, definitely hit and miss. Like, I love the show more than the game initially. So the domestic fraying was worth it in the end. Yeah. Bullying fathers into getting what you want. It's terrible what kids do these days. I mean, um, I wouldn't know, not being a stepfather or not. 
Uh, I was um, very early adopter for Pokemon. A friend of a friend had emulated it, of all things, about a million years ago. <clears throat> I mean, I had a Japanese version of it. And I played all, I played that for all of about 10 minutes and, and fell in love with it. So grabbed it as soon as it came out over here. Yeah, I must have put a healthy, you know, 200 odd hours into that thing, I think. I had Pokemon Red also. Enough that the battle music, sometimes I look in the corner of my room to see if my Game Boy is still playing it. I can still hear it. It traumatizes me. It chases me. I close my eyes. I can hear the battle music. I can even hear the noise of my Bulbasaur getting kicked out of it. I will always remember that. But yeah, it was fun. And that kind of led on. I never really watched the cartoon or anything. Um, and then that led on to getting an import version of Silver way, way before it came out over here. That was just before Nintendo really put their foot down and suddenly stopped a lot of stuff coming out, you know, as imports, that sort of thing. And they've kind of picked up most of the game since, I think. It really was a crazy time everywhere, but especially in the UK, because it kind of felt like our experience of Pokemon was quite compacted. Uh, if I got this right, the, the, the games actually came out, I think, late 98, and just about everything landed at once which kind of blurs my memory a little bit of exactly when or what got me into Pokemon initially. I do remember getting the games pretty much at launch. I was one of those lucky children who was able to have both red and blue version. So, you know, when my parents were taking me home in presumably our gold-plated Cadillac, I was busy reading the manuals and getting excited for those games. But I, I feel like I'd maybe had already seen the show by that point, and I don't know if that was actually part of the marketing tactic. It was crazy. It was just all enveloping. I imagine it was hell for parents. Yeah, but you remember, like, that's back in the day when parents and kids, they'd done that merry-go-round several times. Like, before that, it would have been something like Power Rangers or Transformers or whatever else. Like, that's just how things were back then. Yeah. This feels like it was on steroids, though. And I don't think even crazies like Toy Story and Furby at the time could really match it because it was just it was just a full-on assault and you always know when you've got a good toy craze because it ends up getting banned in school they... yeah pokemon card games definitely banned at my school i remember there was at least one incident involving a beat down because someone wouldn't trade a charizard or something it was a rare card that everyone wanted and there was a big fight over it did you follow the card game i collected them but it was all just like you know i just want the like the hero cards like you know the ones that everyone sees on the show all the time you know, it wasn't so much like I wanted a collection or I wanted a super rare variant. And I have to be honest, it's all kind of faded from memory. You know, I remember having a hell of a lot of energy cards, but I think that's just generally the rule of the game. <laughs> the rule of the game, you can have a lot of those. Um, you know, Pikachu. I definitely had a Charizard, and I'm pretty sure I had like a limited edition Mewtwo from the movie when I went to see it. I have a question for you though, Jordan. You say you had Pokemon Red and Blue. Were you also one of the privileged ones that had two Game Boys so you could trade with yourself? Uh, okay. It's so dumb. It's one of the, it's one of those kind of stories where it's like, oh, did you do any like really genuinely dumb things as a kid? For me, um, so I had the Game Boy Color, which if anybody remembers, the Game Boy Color came with an infrared connection on top, and that was for communicating with other Game Boy Colors so that they would sort of correspond wirelessly. Therefore, you didn't need a cable, which sounds amazing to me. But I thought, well, infrared. That's what I use with a TV remote. It's just sending a signal to something that's going to receive it. So you just need to bounce the signal. So, at home, and this just seems so lonely, <laughs> took my Game Boy Color, went to the trade room, and then appointed my Game Boy and a mirror. My troll logic thought that it was actually going to send the Pokemon to the mirror and then bounce it back to me and I'd get double the Pokemon. <laughs> oh my, okay, that's, uh, that's definitely outside the box thinking. Did it work? Uh, no. <laughs> Game Boy exploded. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. I just, I yeah, but... but I had to try it. 
you know, just in the same way that I was convinced that if I buried Skittles in my garden, it would rain Skittles like in the advert. TV has a lot to answer for. False advertisements everywhere. You can't use mirrors to get double golems. Such evil game design when you think about it to get 151. There's so many hoops to jump through. Uh, but that's just the, the nature of the game. And obviously it's meant to be a social game, isn't it? So, yeah. And we're still buying them today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they obviously got something very heavily right. So. so, in early 1999, the game series itself was still in its first generation, but there were already spin-off titles out in the wild for both the Game Boy and the Nintendo 64. Pokemon Snap is a photography game that was originally developed without any Pokemon theming whatsoever. The change for appeal's sake was later suggested by producers Tetsuro Iwata in conversation with Shigeru Miyamoto. It's not the only change the game went through, because like a lot of mid-generation projects, Snap was originally intended to release on the add-on console 64DD, but its market failure shifted many high-profile projects back to cartridge release. But can you name some others? Is Majora's Mask one? Mm-hmm. So did did um, Donkey Kong 64 need one? Am I going yeah. crazy? Yeah. Mm. So a couple of others. Mario, uh, Mario Party 2, both Zeldas, back when they were known as Zelda 64 and Zelda Gaiden. Yoshi's Story, as well as Paper Mario. You know, it says a lot that we're on a Resident Evil themed podcast generally, because you said the word Zelda Gaiden, I immediately thought, is that the one where Link's on a boat? Oh, yeah. both thing. They, they give Gaiden to the name that is basically the defining game in the series. <laughs> but yeah, there were, there were a ton of different games that were part of the sort of slated uh, release list for the 64DD that eventually moved back to cartridge release. Among them is Kirby 64, Mission Impossible, Pokemon Stadium, Donkey Kong 64, Paper Mario, both Zeldas, and Pokemon Snap. So, here we are. Pokemon Snap was released on the Nintendo 64 in March 99 in Japan, June 99 in the States, and September 2000 in Europe. If you were lucky enough to live in participating regions, you might have even stumbled across special kiosks known as Pokemon Snap Stations, where you could bring in your game cartridge and print off sticker sheets of your favourite captures, an experience heavily promoted in commercials and competitions throughout the year. I don't think the UK ever received this promotion, I certainly never encountered one in person, so I guess experience was limited only to what the game itself offered. So how was it? This is around the period where I, I kind of started my interest in Pokemon Wavered, um, and I, start, I sort of stopped really being as invested as possible so i actually came to this game quite late to give you an idea of dating this it was around the time that i first came into contact with animal crossing which wasn't when it was released in in the uk that was a bit early i had a friend who had it on import but for me that's why i've got a slightly um interesting way into it because pokemon snap was another sort of slightly strange lifestyle game i felt at the time but most traditional games it's a case of okay so i start the game i play through i complete it and that's that Animal Crossing absolutely obviously isn't that as a property and go off into the into the Tory hinterland of Tom Nook. But the point is is that we do have yeah, you know, Pokemon Snap's a very similar sort of thing. You don't really complete it as such. You go through and you kind of just chill out taking pictures of Pokemon. And that's kind of why I sort of look at them all in, in that same sort of I look at them both in that same sphere. And it catched my interest for a little bit, but then yeah, you know, ultimately it was something which I didn't race to buy. And after I played it through a few times, I kind of didn't race to put it back in the console because I was more interested in playing something else. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I distinctly remember seeing it at friends' houses, but it was always a case of let's play Smash Brothers or let's play yeah. Goldeneye or, you know, so on. It was the kind of the game that no one ever let it jumped out of the seat to play. Uh, yeah. 
luck would have it, Steve does have an N64, but unfortunately it's broken. So in this particular case, I've had to flush myself with knowledge by watching lots and lots of long plays on YouTube. And that is my true first experience. I even have, like, I have a cartridge with me. I just can't run the damn thing, which is a shame. So yeah, my experiences of it are literally secondhand throughout, even from the past. If all the games you could watch secondhand on YouTube, this is probably one of the best ones you could do that with. Granted, you can't necessarily look around and sort of see stuff yourself, but this is the perfect game to literally just chill out with. Well, I mean, my experience largely came from actually reading about it in magazines. As Sharon pointed out, there's a lot of these sort of lifestyle games or games that would go into a bit maybe more of a, an abstract theming. Things like Romania and things like Seaman. Uh, these kind of titles where if you were to be unkind, you might say that it's a gimmick. But if you were to be quite optimistic, you'd say, well, it's just like a brand new venture. Uh, Snap kind of felt like that to a degree. Um, although I don't think it necessarily got its message across very well in magazines, so I didn't really get it the first time I played it. And it took me a very long time to really understand it or appreciate it, so I had a lot of false starts with this game over the years. Describe the gameplay to me as you see it now. What do you do? What is it, you know, the general approach and how does it feel? You're kind of on rails, so it feels like it's basically like a pacifist version of how dead. Yeah, that's, that's I actually... The I, that's the best way I could have described it back then, and I stand by that now. Yeah, I, you said, you literally said what I was thinking, and it, and it feels like a, a, a child-friendly, sanitized version of a rail shooter, where, you know, the most violent thing you'll do is, admittedly, it sounds horrific, but, like, knock a Pokemon into a volcano for it to transform. Well, let, let us not pretend behind this thing, right? Pokemon is a series where you go out in the wild, capture small creatures, pump them full of drugs, make them fight until they faint, pump them full of more drugs, and then basically use them to kill other creatures. So you can capture them in small, in small tiny little cages and then send them out to go and do the same thing. Like it's basically blood sports, but that's okay. Cause you know, we're, we're kind of having fun with it and we're taking pictures of them this time. It's the most humane thing we could do. Um, I'm surprised cause they have a few voice samples of Professor Oak, basically like, hello, how are you? And all these other things that they didn't like go, this is a uh, Chansey or this is a Jigs doing the proper like full on Richard Attenborough, like narrating the journey. It feels like that's a missed opportunity for me. Uh, just to add to that extra wildlife photography feel. But no, it, it, it is just a really linear, but controllable experience. Uh, gameplay wise, obviously you're taking photos and things and you eventually unlock upgrades, don't you? To like move your cart faster and interact with the Pokemon more to get them to do the things you want. It's, it's kind of novel. I want to say to the game's credit though, it's heavily curated and very, you know, we say it's heavily scripted, but it's scripted in such a way that you can interact with it and still affect it to change events to go on. As opposed to like half the Den and things where it's just case of shoot zombies or don't shoot zombies. There's not really that much level of interactivity. It's a real sort of like living gallery and it, it captures the safari aspect quite well. Mm. Yeah, I think it does a really good job of making you feel that you are actually in this living, breathing world. Bear in mind, you are on rails, you are going around. It's almost like you're getting this snapshot, um, there you go, see, fantastic, into this world of what Pokemon is. It feels quite well done in terms of it shows the different Pokemon running around interacting with each other. It's no longer just random spawns where you're kind of walking through some tall grass and then suddenly that battle music I just mentioned haunting me as I say this sort of zooms in and now you've got something in front of you. And exactly like Steve has just said, you can interact with it and you can change the universe around you, change the world around you, and it all kind of fits in the daps, which is pretty cool. It's a bit like Mario 64. The more you play that, different levels, you, know, you open up a pyramid that you couldn't go into before. Um, you kind of knock down the snowman or whatever else, or yeah, that sort of stuff. The world changes around you. And as we've sort of said a couple of times now, it is just quite a nice laid back experience. 
I say they set up like the most uh, straightforward of little narratives at the start, don't they? With like a, a little pre-roll where your character is trying to take a photo of Mew, and if you do all the little side things and take like weird sign photos, you then get a quote-unquote, and I say this in the loosest term, boss fight with Mew. Uh, Mew, sorry, not Mew. Mew is a cow-like creature. So we're getting sidetracked again. Mew is the character that was apparently underneath the van just outside the SSN if you listen to your friends on the playground, but you couldn't get in the base game without a lot of extra, like, tricks and stuff. Which I think is cool. You know, the rarest Pokemon in the games at the time, you actually have a proper one-on-one -on -one session with. Especially considering this game only has less than half of the base roster otherwise of the original 151. Is that right? Yeah, there are there are 63 Pokemon in this game. There was another Pokemon that does not show up that was in beta footage, which was Ekans. For whatever reason, it did not make it into the final game. And there's other scrapped elements, like I think there was meant to be an additional stage that was more spooky, but I guess they couldn't necessarily do a great deal with that since they only had a few ghost-type Pokemon anyway. The, the caves are fairly spooky as it is, and you get a few haunters, but... Yeah, I think that's what it eventually sort of becomes. It's a funny little title to come back to now, because I feel like, including myself, most people overlooked the game at the time because... Depending on where you were, uh, other Pokemon games were already out that were in 3D and you could interact with Pokemon in a more traditional way that was probably more what people were sort of asking for. And I'm referring to Stadium in that respect. But this had that appeal of being able to get more up close and personal with the Pokemon and be able to see that kind of level of... It seems funny to say level of detail for an N64 game, but seriously, like the visuals really stood out and they really popped and it was weird to see some of these Pokemon that you'd only seen as a few pixels now right up in your face. It feels like the scoring system, which is obviously a big focus because the whole score attack mode's a bit harsh though. Where does Professor Oak come in judging you on your photos when he's never left his little clinic? To be fair, I think he leaves his clinic quite a lot. I mean, I remember watching the cartoon. Whenever Ash phones home, he's, his mum always says, oh, Dr. Oak is here. He just happened to come around. Like, I'm 100% sure there is a torrid affair going on between Ash's mum and Professor Oak. <laughs> like, literally, if you watch that thing, it's always, oh, Professor Oak is here. He's fixing the door. Like, that's why he's got his shirt off. His muscles, that sort of stuff, you know? His muscles. I'm just picturing, like, Herculean wrestler build. <laughs> yeah, he Professor Oak. Yeah, it looks like someone got a mat. Looks like someone's got like a uh, like a matchamp and just basically painted it like Doctor o uh, Professor Oak colors. Stupid, sexy was. Professor Oak. He's, um, he's, he's got with all that grey hair. He's got that more of a daddy kind of vibe going on to him, you know. Now I don't know if this is going to make the cut, but clearly, you know, he's called Professor Oak because he's always got wood. Damn straight, this is making the episode. <laughs> That's it. That's got to stay because you know we've invented a whole story here. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Oak. Fifty Shades of Oak. <laughs> oh, God. oh man. That, that's a that's the t-shirt straight away done it probably a, a bit off topic maybe but how well has new pokemon snap been received because i feel like in today's modern selfie culture and everyone taking photos of everything and the fact that you can do that with your switch on the fly should mesh pretty well oh well that's a nice segue actually how did how did this game do in terms of its release and then we go on to new snap Pokemon Snap did extremely well, and I think it was always going to anyway, because it was released at a point in time where just about anything Pokemon was flying off the shelves. In contrast, new Pokemon Snap, again, did very well, and I was a little bit worried about it because I thought maybe it's a bit of a dated concept. It was quite a limited concept. But as far as new Pokemon Snap, it's actually expanded quite vastly in comparison. There's definitely more Pokemon. Uh, as of the latest update, there's 234 Pokemon, and there's even some cool little tie-ins. So uh, Fujifilm 
Film did a partnership with uh, Nintendo and they had bundles which included their Instax Minilink photo printer with a, a special Pikachu shell. It was a little portable printer that could connect to your Switch and you could wirelessly transmit some of your favorite photos over to print out in much the same way that you could go to the photo kiosks. Obviously, it has taken 22 years for Pokemon Snap to get a sequel, but when it did show up, I felt that it was pretty heartfelt. I've still actually yet to jump into the game myself, but it looks gorgeous. It is probably one of the best looking Pokemon games out there. So it, it remains that example that no matter if it's 99 or 2021, both games have stood out uh, as having a visual fidelity that is hard to still match even by the main core teams at Game Freak working on the mainline titles. It just as long as it's got more and more of like the ecosystem being the ecosystem, I think that's the thing that draws me the most in. Uh, but just seeing them do what they do is really, really nice. Um, I'm assuming it's the same kind of deal. Like you can still like throw apples and harass them with pester balls to get them to do stuff. Which seems very like I don't I don't see Richard Attenborough going up to like a lion and throwing a rock at its head to get it to do stuff because that I mean not on film, not on <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah that's that's the part you don't see of the documentary where you know he's just swearing and lobbing stones at the lions so that way they start moving. Come on, Simba, get and do something! God's sake! Sorry, um, yeah. <laughs> where were we? I feel like I've rambled us off course. <laughs> Let's cover the controls a little bit, because I mean, they're fairly simple. It is as simple as they say about cameras themselves. Just point and shoot. Use the analog stick to move the camera around and have a look at your surroundings. You can look completely around, but you don't have any control over the movement of the vehicle. When you see something that you want to take a picture of, you prime the camera by holding Z and then I believe you press A to actually take the photo. Uh, there's some additional elements uh, that get introduced sequentially through the game, so there'll be extra items, things like apples, that you can sort of entice Pokemons to certain areas, or pestables, where you can just, I don't know, be a bit mean and antagonize Pokemon. You can also use it to interact with Pokemon in a way that maybe moves them or knocks them off a certain platform. And then very late in the game, you get an element which actually speeds up your cart for, I think, the sole purpose of just fast-forwarding the course. I'd say there's certain instances where if you're not at a certain place at a certain time, you would miss, isn't it? Like certain yeah, Pokemon yeah. turn the back tier or Laprases go out to sea and... Yeah. I'm kind of surprised there's both the apples and the pestables. I'm be honest, it feels like one's a redundant feature. You could have just had the, the, the apple being, if you leave that on the ground, it lures them. If you throw it directly at them, it annoys them. Otherwise, yeah, it look, looks straightforward enough. Uh, the the, uh, the pokey flute, uh, which I think we've kind of skimmed over, also affects all the Pokemon as well, doesn't it? It's, it'll upset some. For example, singing Jigglypuffs do not like it if you're wrecking their song by playing a flute at them. But it also wakes up a Snorlax, much like in the actual games uh, and and the TV show, I believe. That's so weird because I I don't think I ever tried the poker flute on Jigglypuff. Um, even though I had absolutely, definitely threw an apple and a pester ball at Jigglypuff. <laughs> no show for us today, Jigglypuff. <laughs> None of this singing nonsense. So I I mean I've I've got it on my list that we're going to talk about the story. So I guess we can talk about the story. Uh, for one, it doesn't take place on any landmass that we actually know from Pokemon. This is not Kanto in any respect, even though obviously all of the Pokemon are from Kanto because this is still Generation 1. But from what I understand, it is uh, just called Pokemon Island. Very creative. But 
It's also a good means of being able to not have to make a full Kanto in 3D, and they also don't have to make all 151 Pokemon in 3D. So it's an, it's an easy out in that respect. I was going to say, didn't they do lead-ins to the show from this? Like, I'm sure the character from Pokemon Snap shows up in the show. Am I going crazy? Todd Snap. He's called Todd. Oh my god, sorry. Um, yeah, carry on. Yes. And <laughs> that same Todd that went on to work at Bethesda. <laughs> <laughs> Same haircut and everything, jeez. Exactly, it, 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 yes, it just works. But yeah, Todd Snap actually debuted in the anime before the game came out. I don't know if that was always the case. Obviously, the game was in development uh, as a Pokemon game since spring 1997, so I don't know if they had come up with the character and then he just debuted uh, in the show. But yes, Todd Snap, a photographer primarily, so he's not a Pokemon trainer, uh, which is the, the whole point of this is that Professor Oak invited Todd Snap to Pokemon Island to take photographs of all the Pokemon species that live there. Apparently the out is that he didn't want to invite any trainers because he was worried that the trainers would just fight with the Pokemon, which, I mean, to bring it back to the point about Bloodsport is kind of dark. Yeah, basically Professor Oak is sitting there going, welcome to my tax haven. I call it Pokemon Island. It's a sanctuary. It's basically where I go to escape the mafia that I've created uh, on the mainland. And could you take pictures of it before they basically get here and destroy it for insurance purposes? That's basically what he's looking at. I like the idea of Professor Oak as some kind of Hank Scorpio kind of figure, and he actually has uh, like a secret lair. You're not allowed on the north side of the island, because that's actually where they do the nuclear test. Oh, that's the level that they took out the game. I see it as John Hammond, but it's not dinosaurs, it's just a Pokemon reserve. Like, you know, it's spared no expense. Come, come and take a look at the creatures, we're doing the final safety checks now. Only it doesn't go horribly wrong and no T-Rexes and Raptors get loose. And just like Jurassic Park, there is also a shirtless shot, but instead of Jeff Goldblum, it's Professor Oak once again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, shirtless Professor Oak is the big takeaway from this uh, this whole endeavor, clearly. 100%. No, he's seen... This is meant to be the story the segment, by the way. He's, well, it is a story. We're telling a better story than the actual game has. We've already... The thing is, we've already exhausted this. That's the Pretty issue much. with the game. Like yeah, we it after about half a minute. I mean, the main thrust is done in that little intro, right? It's just Todd. He's yeah. trying to get a photo of you. Fails miserably. Oak's going, "Hey, bro, check out my sick island. Go on this roller coaster, and then maybe we'll see about doing a thing about a thing." And then you're up on Rainbow Road having a boss fight that's, by throwing festivals. Yeah. That's pretty much it. It's just kind of like you're a photographer. Maybe you can figure out the secrets of this island better than me. That will eventually lead me to Mew, and then you can just take a bunch of photos of Mew, and that's it. You go home. Uh, I mean, Todd does come back in the uh, new Pokemon Snap. I don't know what kind of role he has. I don't think you play as him, but um, he does get off the island uh, alive and well, so that's good to know. I, I like that. He does survive the experience. Well, that's important that we discuss that. <laughs> well, you know, it doesn't necessarily have an ending, so you just you just have to keep taking photos forever. <laughs> That's like a saw trap, are you saying? Like, you know, Oak is putting him through these courses over and over again until he dies. The thing about Professor Oak is he's tried to capture Mew through, like, enlisting child labor. Now he's going, passive might be the best answer for this. <laughs> the passive route. So that's fine. We can do this. 
It's weird because, I mean, in the main games, Professor Oak says, well, I'm too old to, you know, go out and adventure and catch Pokemon and fill the Pokedex, which, fair enough, is a lot of travel. Uh, but this is within um, a little cart. He's practically retired, I presume. Um, he only really has to sort of work at his, his laboratory, and even most of the time he's just eating tofu. Uh, so I think he can go out with a camera. Work is a very subjective term. When basically everyone else is doing. But we're now calling Professor Oak a work shy scientist. Is that is <laughs> all he does is spend his time yelling at children and rating their photos. So the music then. Um, <laughs> what, what, what do you think about the music? Welcome back. I, this, I can't honestly really remember anything particularly spectacular for this. It's it's typical kind of... The things that I do remember is very Pokemon. Just kind of plinky, plunk, plink, Pokemon. I don't remember anything terribly exciting um, about this that really made it stand out to my mind. I've never heard Pokemon music described in that way. Oh, it's very plinkety plunk. I got to be honest, uh, as the newcomer here, I feel like it's very weak. Like I, That's probably because I've been spoiled with, like, you know, the... The OG's soundtrack so much, and obviously everything that's ever made into Smash, that Snaps is just kind of, it's okay, but it feels more like it could be filler from the anime, if anything, run through an N64's like sound chip. Yeah, as, as far as the music, it, it, is, it is pretty weak. It doesn't use any of the music from uh, the games or the anime, which was obviously the respective strengths of Pokemon Stadium and Pokemon Puzzle League. Quite memorable themes that you could draw from and people would immediately know what they're listening to and say this is pokemon instead it has to compose i think almost entirely uh, original music for each of the stages uh, as we've already discussed this is not kanto so if you are trying to associate those places with kanto themes it might seem a little bit jarring because you're saying oh wait no this is pokemon island this is a new locale therefore it needs its own new themes for caves and forests and jungles this is as close as you get to really uh, experience sort of a living breathing pokemon world on the n64 and it could have just used a couple of those famous themes that people have obviously been listening to on their Game Boys for so long. But I don't think it's completely without uh, a merit. There's certainly some nice themes from the uh, original soundtrack. Particularly the cave theme was a real earworm for me. And I especially like that a lot of the themes are adaptive soundtracks. Uh, the further you get into a course, or the, the more that you actually interact with a course and maybe trigger certain events, you actually get additional instrumentation yeah. for the song, which is pretty nice. And I... It's something Nintendo were quite big on. That Mario 64 did that as well. Yeah, as well. I think like uh, Jolly Roger Bay, the further you get into the stage, the more the music kind of swells up. I mean, as far as the composer, uh, was Ikiku Mimori. Does not have many games credited, but was the composer for Pokemon Snap, Metal Storm, Spartan X2, and uh, R-Type 3, the third Lightning. Oh, so, wow. R-Type 3 is filled with bangers as well. Yeah, not, well to, uh, not to go and shop, no, you know, shop time, but yeah, goddamn. Uh, uh, Mimori did the music composition and sound effects for R-Type 3. Also, lesser known fact, uh, he's a member of Daft Punk. So, you know, it's, it's what it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And do you want to know which robot head he is? Find out at the end of the show. 
Are you guys just pulling my leg, or are they actually a member of Darkhold? Join, 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 join the Patreon, and you can find out, Steve. Okay. Well, I'm on the show! Why do I have to join the... Okay, I'm confused. <laughs> so let's talk about the visuals. Obviously, these were one of the more sort of impressive standout aspects of the game when it first came out it really could only be compared to pokemon stadium which is funny because i'm pretty sure the same people that were working on the models for pokemon stadium were also working for pokemon snap at the same time which is also why you end up seeing some of these models showing up in smash brothers presentation overall is quite crisp in my opinion i think it's aged fairly well there's not a pokemon that necessarily looks like it's you know a few polygons short of a true form so yeah what did you think of the visuals Strong compared to a lot of N64 games. Obviously, it's probably due to the fact that it's a more linear and tailored experience, but a um, lot less muddy, and you can actually make out. Obviously, the, the background texture work is still like on on the same level as like something like Ocarina, isn't it? For the actual detail of the ground and the walls, but uh, the environments themselves are very well defined. And obviously, the the, the poster creatures actually have like a lot of definition to them. Uh, you can see the the parallels are drawn with that and the show and the the key artwork. Uh, and the fact that they actually have a massive range of emotions depending on what what is happening to them at the time is fantastic, I think. Especially for an N64 game where normally there's like a, if they have multiple facial expressions, it's either on or off, uh, whereas they have a, a quite a range. I think it's pretty good. Uh, draw distance as well. There's none of that kryptonite fog nonsense. There's only like, you know, atmospheric stuff, probably due to like, you know, map culling and cutting out loads of background stuff as it's going because obviously you can because you had to face forward into the left or the right it's really good visually i think it's it deserves some praise i think the subject matter of the game is helped a lot by that sort of generic well it's not like pokemon for example even i mean look at the new game now i mean it's never been the game that's had the most sort of sharpest crispest of visuals it's never been a thing where it's been the most challenging thing to try and capture so i think that helps it a lot but that said that's not to take away from what this game achieves. It's a nice, concise, punchy experience visually. And mm. yeah, it, it, only, it does exactly what it needs to do. You know, perhaps not in necessarily the most flashy way, but certainly in an extremely competent way. And how about the menus and the UI? And obviously featuring Professor Rogue as pretty much his anime 2D uh, presentation. I mean, this just feels like it's, it's more the anime than the games, if that makes any sense. Like it's forebear games. I would say that there's something very almost Mario Paint or younger feeling, less uh, less Pokemon to the actual UI. I don't know, there's, there's something strangely, I want to say like Yoshi's Story or something. It doesn't feel quite the same. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely does. I think, I think it fits. I mean, again, it's... Yeah, it feels like almost that if you were to say that part of this game is made by third party and that's it, I would, I would agree. You know, that's probably the best way I could describe it to you. It doesn't really have any bearing from the Pokemon that you're used to or familiar with. It's kind of a whole new entity, a whole new beast itself. But that said, I mean, it's kind of okay. I guess that takes us to what the final verdict is. And obviously we've played this game in 2022 and we've enjoyed it. Uh, but is this a game that you would necessarily still recommend? Uh, I mean, this is an experience for four hours, so it's not very long. But is there enough there... Uh, to be worth jumping back into? For me, the question is, are you a Pokemon fan? If the answer is yes, then absolutely. Um, this is a fun offshoot. It does what it does. It, it creates a nice, uh, concise, fun, fun little world. Uh, it 
definitely sets out to do what it definitely achieves what it sets out to do um and it is nice it gives you a different way of interacting with your favorite universe and some of your favorite creatures and and so forth um if you're not a pokemon fan no it's it's a slightly strange game that for me i just don't have a reason to pick it up and play it it's kind of a fun experience you can do but the moment you stop playing it you kind of go okay that was kind of fun now i'm going to go do something else and you don't ever sit there and go oh yeah that's really cool i want to go back and play that again you just don't simply have that and that could be more so much you know me and my personal sort of connection with it but i must say i must admit i've never had that with other pokemon games i've always been hit by the bug and it's kind of i must now keep playing this thing because i want to master all these various different things catch them all you know kleptomania that sort of stuff this doesn't have that i think for me i, I like the fact that this is quite a chilled game it's quite relaxed it's yeah you, know, you can kind of walk around or sorry sit there and ride around and and see what's happening all around you but the focus once you've done that a couple of times switches much like a resident evil game and i will go back there for a second starts off with you being scared witless and going through and not knowing what's around the next corner and then the moment you complete it you then move into playing it a very different way which is a time attack the same is almost true of this and i think that sort of takes that chilled experience and puts a a burden of expectation and a burden of intensity on it which i don't necessarily know sits very well with my super chill pokemon game and that's my take yeah i think that's fair like i said i've had the i've had the unfortunateness of this being a second-hand experience to me and i don't feel like it's been lessened too much the photography aspects despite being its big draw aren't the most compelling part about it it's more seeing the creatures doing their thing and milling about so yeah, in that regard, it's cool, but I, it's, there's not a lot of meat on the bones. I feel like at, at, at release, this would have been full price, and for a four-hour game, that would have been atrocious. I feel like I'm bashing the game. I'm not. I think it's a genuinely actually kind of an interesting, visually okay and uh, harmless, for want of a better term, but I don't think it's something I would personally pursue. Uh, and I, then again, I'm a, I'm a very casual Pokemon fan, so it might be if you're a mega fan, it'd be you know, right up there for you. To be fair, those four hours are filled with enough creativity to be able to justify giving it at least one playthrough. I don't think it really asks too much of your time, so I think even a 20-minute jump in uh, to try it out is worth it. And uh, yeah, fun little game. It's certainly the best game I think we've had on the show so far, but that's not too hard. Um... I think the, the the appeal is, as I said, if you're a collector, I don't think you're going to quibble at the price it was at the time. I think you're going to interact with it and really enjoy it. Sorry, collector, a fan, you're going to enjoy it. And I think a collector now probably wouldn't run too much about it either because obviously it is, as you say, Jordan, I think there is a real potential that this thing is a cult classic. I don't know if it is. It could well be. But if it's not, then I could see it being one. Um, and there is a whole bunch of nostalgia. It represents an era of Pokemon when there was a whole bunch more... Or, I mean, yes, the thing had exploded and there was merchandise and all the other stuff we talked about earlier on, but it was at a time when there weren't many games out there for it. You know, it wasn't, you didn't have Ruby and Sapphire, you didn't have kind of black and white, and everything was about those well, those core 150. It's that sort of rose-tinted glasses that Pokemon people just talk about all the time, going, oh my god, that was the, you know, the golden era or whatever. Like, it, it's that. And there's a certain point where this really does emulate that quite well because it is just a celebration of Pokemon. Okay, so now we've uh, now we've finished dusting off our copies of Pokemon Snap, although, Steve, you're still covered in dust because your N64 is covered in dust. It's time to spin that wheel thing, uh, which I'm told we have. I mean, I've never actually seen it, but I'm pretty sure it's there. So, um, do it. 
Okay, so the list of games that are still on the wheel includes Bart's Nightmare, Pilot Wings for the Super Nintendo, Croc, Faxanadu, Mech Warrior 2, Overblood, and Shadow Man. Okay, I am spinning the wheel now. I'm actually nervous about this one. Our next game will be Pilot Wings for the Super Nintendo. Oh. Is that a is that a let off? We missed Bart's Nightmare, so there you go. <laughs> and this is uh, and this is your picture, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, I guess that means I get to host. Although this is definitely where we're going to have some interesting time trying to make up our own story for what's going on. We'll soon find out. <laughs> okay, so listeners, this was a memory card lane episode on Pokemon Snap and general banter around Pokemon itself. Uh, I have been Steve, and with me has been our host, Jordan. Say say goodbye, Jordan. Bye. Uh, and uh, the ever enigmatic and somewhat anarchic Sherwin. Say goodbye, Sherwin. Thank you for tuning in to the Oak Appreciation. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, right, everybody. If you like this video, I'm going to ask that you go and hit that like button. And why not tell a friend about the show? If you're new here, you can subscribe. And you know, if you want to catch that Pilot Wings episode right now, you can check out the first Aid Spray Patreon in the description below. I've been Steve, joined by my illustrious compatriots Sherwin and Jordan. Thanks for watching. Bye! Bye.